Thank you for downloading September 8, 2019 Paragon Podcast from Paragon Sunday Morning, talking about mission, vision, values. If you want more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. It's a beautiful thing to be able to kick off just another fall, and as we do that, there's some things that I, I want to let you know that I've been thinking about really for months now. Back in, back in April, right after Easter, uh, some 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 things just really started to, to pick at me. And really, I guess you could even go all the way back to last May, but, but it really kind of came to a head here. And God started stirring some questions inside of my heart about the reasons why we do what we do, both on a personal level and on a church level. Why do I do what I do? Why do I exist? What is the purpose in my life? And these are questions that really started to hit me at the beginning of the summer, and, and you probably noticed some of that taking place in the messages as we talked through a lot of them, as we did our mixtapes, as we talked about what was next for us. And, you know, I started to ask questions like, why do I do what I do? But, but even more so from a church perspective, why do we do what we do? Why do we gather together? Why do we put on a Lego camp? Why do we do these things? And there's this question, I believe, that that really was hitting me. And it was, what was the vision for my life? And what is the vision for Paragon Church? And what is the mission for both? And what values do we hold to that bring the mission and the vision along? What are the things that we do and why do we exist? And for me, and I think for everybody, these are important questions to answer. These are important questions to answer so so we don't just drift. That we need to define our existence and we need to do it so we know where we're going in the future. And I, I believe Proverbs makes it very clear when it says, people without a vision, they perish. Or if you look at different translations, one of them says that they wander aimlessly without constraint. They waste their lives. People without a vision do that. And the thing that I really started struggling with in in April, probably the most in beginning and through the summer was, am I just wasting time? God's only given me so much. God's only given you so much. Am I wasting it? Am I doing what God wants me to do with it? Am I doing it as a leader in this church, leading the church in a direction? Or are we just drifting and getting together on a Sunday and having a meeting and enjoying some food and things like that? And then we just go do our own thing. Am I doing what God wants me to do? What is the vision for my life? What is the mission for my life? What are the values of, for my life in order to stay on target? And sometimes we get those words confused, mission, vision, values. And, you know, the thing is, I think every business, every organization, churches, sports teams, everybody's got these things. The mission, or sorry, the the vision, the mission, and the values. But I think we need to define what they are because sometimes we try and interchange them, and they're not really interchangeable. See, the vision is where we are headed. It's where we're headed, or at least where we want to be headed. So in my life, in my church, in your life, in your church, where are we headed? The mission is what we need to do now to get there. What do we need to do now to get there? And then the values are what keep us in line. The the values are really what gives us the ability to operate within that mission, within that vision. 
And, and I see these things in my own life, and I see these things in the church, and I say, you know, is our culture holding to the values, these core values that we've talked about for the last five weeks, are, are we holding to that, to the place where it's beginning to shape the mission to see the vision come to fruition? Is this what we're doing, or is our culture just like, nah, we don't really, nah, we don't need the, the five things, because really the culture can eat the vision and the mission and the values for breakfast. It can say no. So how do we shape our culture to do this? How do we do this? And I believe that's kind of where I'm at with this fall kickoff. Because if the company, if the church, if the individual isn't holding to the values, values, the rest of it gets flushed. I told you I'd talk about the NFL for just a second. Because I think this is where the NFL's at. I think this is why people have such an issue with it. Because they're missing their original vision and mission and values and they got overly political and overly politically correct and it's caused issues with the fans it's caused issues with people but even leaving the nfl aside i read a thing this week about two different companies two different companies one that stuck to their vision one that did not the one that did not is gillette now i'm not sure if you can look at me and understand i like gillette because I like to have a clean-shaven head, and I like to have a clean-shaven face. So Gillette is one of the things. Do you know that this week, Gillette posted an $8 billion loss? An $8 billion. Now, I just want that to soak in for you for just a second, because $8 billion is 8,000 millions. I didn't know you had to spend that much money to begin with to make razors, much less lose that much in the process of making razors. But you know what they, they are really thinking caused it? Is they got off of their mission, and they got off of their vision, and their vision was to create a great razor. But they started to get political, and they put out two commercials, very politically charged, very much about the, the things that are going on and, and where they stood at. And when they did it, all of a sudden they started losing money. Instead of just staying with what they were supposed to be doing, staying with what they are good at, they began to lose money. Now, I told you I was going to talk about two com uh, companies because the second one is one th that I uh, eat at often. As a matter of fact, my son now works at. And it's called Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A is very much about their vision and their mission and their values. But in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, they had some pretty stiff competition from a place called Popeye's. And Popeye's was putting out this chicken sandwich that, that went viral on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. And they, they supposedly had this chicken sandwich that was going to rival Chick-fil-A. And all these people started tweeting about it. And all these people started lining up in line. And one of the things that we saw happen was is that Chick-fil-A remained constant. They just kept doing what they do. And one of the things that was the biggest complaint wasn't about the sandwich at Popeye's. You know what it was? Their customer service. Their customer service was terrible. Their customer service, when they, people would finally get to the front of the line, they were out of chicken. And you know what they did? Hey, we're out of chicken. Too bad. Tough luck. I don't know how you run a chicken at Popeye's, but apparently they did. 
And, and they, they really treated their customers poorly, and people began to repent. They actually set up a confession booth, a Chick-fil-A for people to repent at. And um, they, you know, there, was, there was this whole push. But let me tell you what Chick-fil-A did. They stuck to their mission. You know what their mission statement is? I went onto the website and I grabbed it. To be America's best quick service restaurant at winning and keeping customers. How do they do that? Their vision is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. To have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. The values that hold it all together. Customer first. Personal excellence, continuous improvement, working together, stewardship. They stuck with that. Even when everybody's like, oh, Popeyes has got this and Popeyes has got that. They didn't go, well, we better get dirty and fight on Twitter. They didn't say, hey, you know what we're going to do is we're going to reinvent our sandwich and we're going to do this. No, they stuck to what they were good at. And guess what? It only took a couple of weeks for it to pay off for them. If we have a vision, if we have a mission, and we have values, we will stick to where we need to be. And I say this for this reason. How, as we celebrate our 10th annual fall kickoff, how do we stay on target? How do we not just drift into oblivion? How do we not just become that church that everybody meets at on a Sunday and that's all that really matters? How do we avoid that? How do we keep our personal vision, our personal mission, our personal values straight? Because you don't just drift into excellence. And really, I was going to talk about the church, and I was going to talk about personal together, but really, as I looked at it, there's just too much. So next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the church, but this week, I'm going to talk about how our personal vision affects the vision of the church, and how they feed into each other, and how they go back and forth. And, and the thing is, is that I truly believe that if I see my vision, and I see my vision, and I see my values connect and on track it will help the church keep its vision and its mission and its values on track. And I think vice versa. Because the vision and the mission and the values of the church that's on your front of your new bulletins this month will tell you our job is to help keep you on track. The reason why we exist is to help keep you on track, to grow closer to Christ. So, and so as we see this, like I said, for the last 18 months or so, but really since last Easter or so, I've thought about this. I've prayed about this. I have talked to numerous people about this. About how do we keep where we want to go, where it is? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? What's the vision for my future? And what is my day-to-day -day all about? Where am I going? And I told you, we really kind of hit this this summer with our mixtapes. And we, we talked about our core values and called them our core anthems in August. But if you go back to June, we had those making the mix, and the buttons that you push, and the, the buttons would be the stop, and the pause, and the rewind, and the fast forward, but that fast forward one, we talked about the future, and we started to touch on that, and I, I told you during that one on June 23rd, I'm sure you guys all remember really clearly and well, but on, on June 23rd, I'll just reemphasize it for those maybe two things. One was decide what's important, and two was define your purpose. Decide what's important, what gets my time, what gets my money, what gets my effort, what gets my life, and then define your purpose. And we looked at five points of what a purpose-driven life would be, and there might be a book about that, by the way, by a guy named Rick Warren, like the best-selling nonfiction book of, of all time other than the Bible itself. Uh, here's what it said, though. 
And, and these are our core values, by the way, just in case you're wondering. We're planned for God's pleasure. I can't outgive God. We're planned for his pleasure. We are here to worship him. We're here to give him our entire life. We're formed for God's family. We, we say we are family, but we cannot do life alone. That is why this connection group are so important. I want you to make sure you grab one of these flyers. It talks about why we have connection groups, but it talks about where you can get plugged in at. Get plugged into a connection group. Don't see one you, you think you can get plugged into or maybe a group that you, you'd like to see happen. Man, maybe God's calling you to lead one. Come and talk to me. I can't do life alone. We're shaped to serve. God is molding you and making you into who he wants you to be. But as he's molding you and making you into who he wants you to be, he's also got you in a place right now with gifts that you can use for his glory and his honor. Save people, serve people. We're made for mission. Or our thing is, is found people, find people. We've been given a gift in Jesus Christ, a life-changing life-giving, life-saving, cancer-killing gift through Jesus Christ. And that cancer is the cancer of sin, by the way. We've been given that gift. If you had the gift of how to cure cancer, like this month is Childhood Awareness, Cancer Awareness Month, if you had the ability to cure that? Would you just continue to hold on to that in your own life, or would you share that willingly with every child who's suffering right now? Well, guess what? Every person that God's ever created is suffering with the, 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 the cancer of sin, and we have the gift, the cure, but yet we hold on to it. We are made for a mission. And even as important as that one is, the fifth one, the one I really focus on today is we're created to become like Christ. And this is the one I think that has stuck with me all summer long. That we're created to become like Christ. That growing people change. And that last point, like I said, it really hit me, hit me hard. It hit me in a way, even though I've preached numbers and numbers of times, that it is not all about you. That point right there told me it really isn't about me. It really is all about God. See, here's what I need you to get. If you don't get anything else from today, if you walk out of here going, there's only one thing I need to remember, this is it. That God's purpose for God's people is Christ-likeness. God's purpose for God's people is Christ-likeness. He wants you to be like Christ. He wants me to be like Christ. That is what we want as a church, to help people take their next steps in their journey. We want to empower them. We want to equip them. We want to encourage them to take those next steps, to be like Christ. Do you know what? I want to be like Christ. I've never talked to a Christian that didn't say they want to be like Christ. Oh, no, I really don't want to be like him. That's not our natural thing. We may have that vision, but what mission do we have in place to make that happen? How what values do we hold to to make that happen? If I want to be like Christ, what's it going to look like? See, when I was little, there was lots of different people that I wanted to be. My guess is that you did too. Maybe it was an athlete. Maybe it was a musician. Maybe it was an artist. Maybe it was your teacher. Maybe it was your parents. But there's somebody you wanted to be. But in 1991, when I was in high school, Gatorade came out with a commercial. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you weren't born. I don't know. But the commercial was all about a basketball player. And maybe you could start singing the song in your head because it was a very catchy one. And Gatorade put it out, and it went something like this. Sometimes I dream 
that he is me. You've got to see how that's what I dream to be. And then it went, boom, 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 boom. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Now, if you know anything about the commercial, if you know anything about who Mike is, Mike is Michael Jordan, probably, arguably, one of, if not the best basketball player to ever play the game. And people wanted to be like him. They wanted to have the moves like him. They wanted to jump like him. They wanted to fly like him. They wanted to, to just have that game-winning shot that he had multiple times. But you know what? Nobody sings that anymore. You know why? Because he's old, he's overweight, and he's got a horrible gambling problem. None of the things that I want to be like. But nobody sings that song anymore. And you know why? Because he was never created for us to be like him. There's not a person on the planet other than one that ever has ever walked on this planet that we're supposed to be like. And that is Jesus Christ. Nobody else was supposed to put that mantle on their shoulders. Nobody else was supposed to be our role model. We are supposed to be like Jesus Christ. He came from heaven to earth to save us, to redeem us, but also to show us how to live. That is why he came. That is what this is about. And, you know, it's all from the very beginning part of God's plan. It really is an amazing thing. Check out these verses that I want you to just see today that, that really just bring this thought of being Christ-like into our realm. So it's not like it's just something that I'm just talking about. First one is Romans 8.29. Second one is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And the third one is 1 John 3.2. Romans 8.29 says these words, For those he foreknew, he also predestined, and he being God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, you probably already know this, but way back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve took a bite of that forbidden fruit, humanity and everything that God had planned in perfection got ruined. It, it got stained. It got, it got really hijacked. And in that thing that got hijacked, man's image was one of them. But it says here that he was supposed to be conformed to the image of his son. So Jesus came, part of God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus came, he walked the earth, and he set the perfect example for you and for me. And through Jesus Christ, we get a gift, a gift to all who repent and believe that this plan for the Christian life, since way before you and I ever were born, since way before, you know, there were even Christians God had a plan that this is what's going to happen. And I'm not sure if you go back to our definition of a vision. This is the plan of what's going to happen. God had this plan in the past, and how's that going to happen? How's that mission going to take place? Well, that's when we flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, we all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. We are being transformed. We look at the glory of the Lord. We look at the glory of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Excuse me. That's not going to be good for the second service. <coughs> so you guys are getting the better part of it all, apparently. When we look at the glory of the Lord, how do we see it? See, I think we have this weird tendency today 
especially to try and make Jesus in our image. We try and say, this is who Jesus is, so he fits my political spectrum. This is who Jesus is, so he fits my socioeconomic spectrum. This is who Jesus is. We try and fit him into a box. Instead of looking at him and us becoming more like him, we want to make him more like us. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be transformed as we look at the glory of the Lord. Guess where we find it? Right here. We find it in the Word. We look at His life. We see how He walked on this earth. We see how He interacted with people. We see it all right here. And the thing is, we're transformed the more we look. We're transformed the more we read. Not because of who we are and what we're doing, but what does that last part of the sentence say? This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit's working inside of us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we move on here. But we see that we can't do it on our own. The vision is we're supposed to be conformed to the image of His Son. The mission is that the Spirit is going to work on us and transform us as we open our lives up, as we give our time, as we give our effort, as we give ourselves to Him and say, I repent of who I am and I know that I can't do it on my own. But then we see this last one, 1 John 3, 2, the, the, the future, maybe even a bit more of a vision. It says, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what will we be has not been yet revealed. We know that when he appears, though, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. What's John trying to say here? This is what I think he's trying to say. He, he doesn't give us a whole, whole lot of detail. He doesn't say this is the way it's all going to work. He just says this, when we meet Christ, we will be with him and like him forever. We will be changed. If you want it in a simple chronological order, it is, this is what God has planned. This is what God's doing to make those plans happen, and the results are going to be this. That's the steps that we see, and we see that in it all, it's all about God. It's, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's all about God making me into the image of His Son. It's all about what God wants to do with my life. And what I will let Him do with my life. Will I give my life over to Him? Or will I fight Him in rebellion every step of the way? I mean, if we go back to June 23rd, we, we actually quoted what life was about from the Westminster Catechism. And these are the words that said, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But how is that accomplished? How is that accomplished? How do we glorify God if we're constantly living for ourselves? And we go back to that, that first letter of John again and actually go to John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. This is what it says. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You know what John's saying simply and plainly? If you want to call yourself a Christian, then act like it. Because the word Christian actually means little Christ. Be a little Christ. If you're going to say, I am a Christian, don't just say it because you come to church on Sunday. Don't just say it because you said some prayer when you were eight years old and every once in a while you'll go to church on, on Christmas and Easter. Christy was just in Bulgaria and, and she had the translator with her the whole time. And of course, as she sit there and talking, that they were talking about what Bulgarians kind of believe in their religious and spiritual realms and so on and so forth. And she said, well, the majority of people go to church on Easter and Christmas. Well, that's good for them. 
See if they're missing it. Because that's not what Christ called us to. He didn't say, hey, this is the things you have to do. He wants our lives. He wants our lives. He says, if you want to be like me, be like me. Be a little Christ. And how do we do that? Well, we keep his word. We read his word. We see what's in there. And we see the life that he lived. And what are some things that, that stood out in his life? Man, that list could go on and on. Probably a sermon series could go a full year. Breaking down the, the characteristics of Christ. But I'm going to give you four real quick. Four real quick. And the first one I saw was this. is humility. Humility. To be more like Christ, we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. Look at what Christ humility in action was here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. And if you want to underline in your Bible or highlight a verse in your U version, do this one. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I remember memorizing that verse. I remember being taught that verse multiple times when I was in junior high and in high school and in college and teaching on it. But I don't think we fully grasp everything that that verse is saying, that God sent his son to us. Jesus stepped down out of perfection, out of heaven to this. And actually, this is better than what it was, what he stepped down into. As he stepped down into Roman culture and he stepped down into all that junk and all the things, and he came as a baby. A baby just like any other baby that, that couldn't function on his own. He's 100% human and 100% God. And in that 100% human, he took all of that on him. He didn't need to do any of that, but he humbled himself because he was saying, God, not my will, but yours. Do we say that? Do we say, God, not my will but yours? Or do we fight him and say, well, I like your will, however my idea is better? Because that's where I sit at oftentimes. That is one of my bigger struggles. But then you see this, this idea of if we're going to be conformed to Christ's likeness, you better believe that's a characteristic that God wants to put in you that we will humbly obey, even to the point of death. Death to ourselves. The second one was this, service. It was in our previous passage. As I said, he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. But also, look at what it says in here in John 13. Probably one of the, the verses, passages, that literally makes my stomach turn. Okay? This is what it says, John chapter 13, verse 4. So he got up from supper. This is right before about he's getting ready to, uh, to be arrested and crucified. So he got up from supper, and he laid aside his outer clothing. He took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a towel tied around him. That's gross, okay? Let's just be very honest that that is gross. I've told you before, I do not like feet. I think feet are a gross thing, and they had to have been grosser then when you didn't bathe, you didn't shower, you didn't really have any sort of foot powder, and you wore open-toed sandals where all the animals pooped at. Okay, th th there's a lot of gross that's going on into this. Jesus decided, as a teacher, 
as a rabbi, as a leader, to take on the form of a slave. Because that was a slave's job. And look what it says next in verse, if you skip down to verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example so that you also should do just as I have done for you. But you should also, if you want to be Christ-like, this is how it happens. That's a, that's a heavy statement right there. That, that is service. I mean, you know, there are churches that when they do their communion Sunday, and by the way, we'll have communion Sunday in two weeks, but when they do their communion Sunday, they actually incorporate foot washing into it every time. I can't bring myself to do that. I can't. I can't be like, here, let me wash your feet, and I'll take that piece of bread and eat it, because that's just not going to happen. I don't think God necessarily meant that to be literally taken. Now, people want to take it literally. That's not a problem either. But I think what he's saying is culturally, you have the ultimate servant. The ultimate servant leader taking on a form of a slave. And and in it, he knew it wasn't a pleasant job. He knew it wasn't supposed to be fulfilled by a teacher. But he says, you know what? There's no task that's too menial, no task that is below me to serve and show the love of Christ. How many things will we not do because we think it's below us? If we want to be Christ-like, if we want to take on the form of Christ and be obedient to the Father, He gave His all. How should we respond? We are served, but we should be serving because Christ served. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, very much says that Jesus came to serve and not be served. When I look at that, I think to myself, did he do it because we deserved it? Did he do it because we needed to be served? Absolutely. Not because we deserved it. It's because of who he was, and he was obedient to the Father, and he gave his all. Can I go off on just a short little side tangent? On Friday, Christy Cuddy, who works our children's area back there in the back, called me in a near panic because we have two services now. And like, no idea what to do for the kids. She's like, I've been trying to get people, trying to get people, trying to get people, trying to get people, and just nothing's happening. Why is it in the church, and not just our church, but in the church, it is so difficult to get people to volunteer? simple question. If we, the church, are supposed to be Christ-like, why do we have such a hard time serving? I I just want to know, because I want to write a book about it, and then I want to sell it, and then we'll have all the money we need, and I can buy servants, okay? (laughs) What is it that, that, that we can shift our thinking to say, I'm not too good for that? One of the areas, Bianca, do we need nursery workers? Yes, we do. It's not hard. It's really not hard, even for me. If you want me to go do that and you want to take my job, I'll do that on a Sunday. Let's be honest. Why do I have to make this plea? Why do I have to pull my mom out of my hat and and make her give you a guilt trip? 
Christy and I were talking about this week, there, there was a, uh, a church planting wives post that was being talked about, and one of the wives actually had, had written saying, guys, I just want to know what we need to do for serving. How do we get people to volunteer? We're at the place where we're going to shut down our children's ministry because we can't get anybody in there. And I'm thinking to myself, what's the most important ministry in our entire church? It is absolutely the children. They are our next generation. They are our next generation of leaders, of followers, of people becoming Christ-like. And if we can get them now, man, how awesome is that? And we say, you know what? No, I don't need the help in there. Like I said, just a little side tangent, just a little guilt trip to lay it out there for you. Serving sign-ups are going to be out there in the foyer afterwards. But the reality is, is we, we this should not be a struggle because if we're going to be more like Christ, he came to serve. The next characteristic I see is the one that you're probably like, oh, why didn't you start with that one? Love. Love. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God. As dearly loved children and walk in love. As Christ also loved us, he gave himself up for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Walk in love. Humbly be willing to sacrifice your life for others, for the glory of God. That comes in serving. That, that, that comes in, in, in mission. That comes in evangelism. That comes in discipleship. That comes in so many different ways. You know, I, I heard a guy talking the other day, and he asked this question. He said, do we look like Christ? And then he said, if Jesus were to take over your body, your life, for one day, you guys do all the exact same things. He's just in you. And he gets to make the decisions, and he gets to decide where you go and who you talk to and how you talk to them and all of that. Would your life be different if he were leading, leading it for one day? It shouldn't be. But it is. Because he's going to love differently. He's going to see people differently. He's going to reach out to people differently. He's going to serve people differently. He's going to get involved in the lives of people differently. That shouldn't be the case, though. If we're going to be like Christ, it shouldn't be different in that. And there's plenty of other characteristics, like I said, that we could talk about. But here's one last one I want to give you. And it kind of fits into what we were talking about. His mission. Both the mission that he was in and the mission that he was on. We should be Christ-like. See, Jesus was on a mission from heaven to come to earth and get involved in people's lives. That was his mission. He wanted to be involved in your life. He wanted to be involved in my life. He wanted to be involved in the disciples' life. He wanted to show us how to live. We're on mission. And in John 20, 21, it says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We're on the same mission. We should be involved in people's lives. That is why connection groups are so important. That is why discipleship and growing people change is so important in our church. That's why evangelism is so important in our church. Jesus is sending us. And really, it's, it's a repeat of the prayer that's in John chapter 17. About how he prayed for us to be able to go. And I just want to wrap up with this today. If we start to become more Christ-like, which is our goal, 
That is our vision. Now, are we going to snap our fingers? Is this going to happen? No, it's, it's a process that takes place over a long period of time. From the time that we're saved to the time that we die, we're becoming more Christ-like. But as we do that, do you think there will be ramifications? Do you think there are going to be consequences as we do these things, as we say we're on mission, as we say we're going to serve, as we say that we are, are going to love like Christ, you better believe there, there are going to be some consequences. And you know what the first one is that I wrote down? Suffering. Suffering. I know, that's a great sales point to start out with. Hey, you should do this. You're going to suffer. But in reality, I read to you at the beginning, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where he says, we're being conformed to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is one that is oftentimes used and sometimes misused. When it says these words, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is to conform us as the image of his son. The things we go through in life, whether it be good things or bad things, are conforming us to the image of his son. And I can tell you from personal experience, I have much more conformity taking place in the bad times than I do in the good times. Much more chiseling taking place in the bad times than I do in the good times. Suffering will come. According to verse 28, God's always working for the good of his people. In verse 29, it's to make us more like Christ. Second thing I wrote down is evangelism. If you start to look like the Christ you're proclaiming, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be the Christ that we actually proclaim? Because when we're not and we're just being actors, that word is a hypocrite, right? Not one that any of us really like to be called. And, and I began to look at this. I said, if we were like the Christ that we're proclaiming, it's like this generation that is raising up right now. They demand authenticity. What if we were just authentic little Christs? Man, how different would that be in our lives? Final thing, the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, I think the Holy Spirit's often the forgotten member of the Trinity. And he, he's given to us when we repent of our sins and we, we turn from ourselves and we say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. The Holy Spirit comes into us and, and we have him living inside of us. But what if he were the fullness and all the power inside of us? What if it wasn't us trying to just say, here, you can have this little chunk of an hour on Sunday morning. Instead of saying, God, you got it all. Fill me up. Like this bottle of water. If there was no more room for anything else, and it was all just water, that's our lives. What if we were just all full of the Holy Spirit? How would our lives be different? How would we be changed? You know, if I wanted to play football like Aaron Rodgers, if I wanted to play baseball like Cal Ripton, not anymore, he's old now too, but if, if, if I took the best player and I wanted to be like that, I'm not going to be like that unless God said, here, I'm going to give you all of his power and all of his ability and all of his strength and all of his everything. I'm going to put it inside you. Well, guess what? Without the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can't be more like Christ. Without the indwelling, because we can't do it on our own. And we need to call out to God and say, you know, God, your purpose for your people is Christ-likeness. But the only way it's going to happen is if you do it in me, because I can't do it on my own. Let me just tell you this right now. It starts with repentance. 
and saying, God, I, I tried, and I failed. I repent. I make a 180 from where I was to where you want me to go. My vision was for my life. Your vision is for the life that you have for me. You're God. I'm not. Therefore, yours is going to be a better plan than mine is. So I repent. And as I repent, he begins to work in my life. And for me, I'm going to be very honest with you. Today is the day it starts. As we kick off this fall semester at Paragon, will you do me a favor today and also kick off with a desire to be more like Christ this year? To serve like Christ, to love like Christ, to be on mission like Christ. Will you do these things and say, God, just take my life and use it for your glory and your honor. All for you, I surrender. All to you, I freely give, God. This is yours. Take it and use it for your glory and your honor. Would you do that with me today? I'm just going to pray. And I would love for you to pray, not necessarily with me, or pray my words, but talk to God. Because you know where you have those strongholds in your life that he needs to break down. Would you just pray, God, take those things from me. I want to be more like you, and I can't do it without your power, without your help. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer is today we want to be more like you. We want to be Christ-like. But too often, we get in the way. Too often, we have our own plans and say, well, if I let Christ come into my life, if let him lead, things will be different, and I don't want things to be different because I like things the same. I like to know what's going on. I don't want to feel that uneasy pressure of, of not being in control. But God, I want to lay my life in front of you. I want to lay control in front of you. I want to give it to you, and I want you, God, just to take it and use it and mold it and make it to who you want me to be so that as I am in public, people see Jesus. As I am in private, people see Jesus. When I'm with my family, they see Jesus, not me. And God, I do that today, and even as you say in your word, we've got to take up our cross daily and follow you. We have to die to ourselves daily and follow you. So God, may this be the first day of many days strung together of me dying to myself. And becoming more like you and more who you want me to be. Not because I'm some super spiritual person, but because you are an amazing God in the business of transformation. Pray in your name, God. Amen.